Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in the CIM Marketing Podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the companies they work for. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. We have with us today a golden great, the fantastic Morag Kudafer Jones, editor of CIM's membership magazine Catalyst. Um, we're also joined today by a very special guest from a huge brand, Glassdoor, who you will know if you've ever looked for a job and you'll get their emails and checked uh, their uh, ratings of employers. And this is Jill Cotton, who is a career trends expert. Jill, how are you? Very well. Thank you very much for having me. And we'll be joining Jill in a little bit later to talk about some career trends in the sector and recruitment of marketers. But first, we will be with Morag to talk about the latest super soar away issue of Catalyst. How are you, Morag? I am very well, Ben. I'm always so much better for your introductions. I potter along through my daily life and then I get an introduction from Ben Walker and I feel like I'm on top of the world. I'll be interested to hear from you today about what is in the latest magazine, which, by the way, should be appearing on your doormats any day now if it hasn't already. Another year goes by, Morag. Another quarter goes by. Another magazine goes by. What can we look forward to in this one? Oh, so much, so much. I I was dithering over what I was going to call this edition. You know, I you know me. I like to I like to give my editions some kind of title and theme. Um, and I sort of looked at, around the idea of new horizons, and then I came up with the thought that maybe old problems, new solutions. Because I was thinking, is there anything new under the sun in marketing? And actually. There is. There are some there are some core ideas that we really need to to understand and stick to. But do we have to do them all the same way all the time? Absolutely not. And I think that's what this edition is about. It's about finding new angles, new ideas, new solutions. And I was really excited because when I put it together, it felt really positive. It felt like it was really vibrant, like there were lots of interesting angles out there and lots of stuff I hadn't heard of. I, mean, I had to go really go learning and go digging to try and find out a bit more about what our contributors were bringing to us this edition. And it also made a bit of a change from the previous edition where I was just furious, all the time furious. <laughs> it's nice to find solutions to problems, whether they be old or new. So what sort of examples did you find? So, for example, um, if you take our cover story, The Wellness Wave, um, our editor-at-large, Lucy Handley, explored the whole wellness trend. And this is far more than, you know, bogus supplements and bogus claims. This is really holistic lifestyle and brands getting involved and saying, we're not just going to take one little bit of your life, your nutrition, or we're not going to take a yoga pant and make that a bit funkier. We're going to take your whole lifestyle by the hand and we're going to get involved and we're going to take you with us. And that's going to be about events. That's going to be about being with you all during the day, whether that's we're on your social, whether you're you're becoming as a consumer part of that club. And when we talk to brands, wider brands outside the wellness industry, and they are often saying things like, oh, we're going to be your partner, we're going to build a relationship with you. You're selling me toothpaste. There is a big difference between, you know, being the Instagram reel that I look at when I get up and that inspires me, inspires me not to eat donut for breakfast. I'm going to go for birch muesli instead. Um, I'm going to feel boosted. I'm going to have my own pocket Ben Walker talking me through the day and, and buoying me up. 
Um, and I think that really is a true exposition of when they're talking about brands being in a relationship with their customers, rather than just going, I'm in a relationship with you and you're not, you're selling me toothpaste. How do you uh, distinguish a wellness wave, a club, or even a cult, dare I say, being provocative, from a bunch of fake influencers who make money just by giving you slightly cheesy or useless wellness tips? I wonder if it's the difference is how it makes you feel. So you look at the, the wellness influencers and it's all about how they feel. It's all about how they look. And we all know, we've seen behind the curtain to Wizard of Ozland, haven't we? We've seen the ring lights and the extra thick makeup and the particular angles that makes everyone look like they've got a flat tummy. Things like CrossFit, if you talk to someone who's part, and you said it's, it's like a cult, if you talk to anyone who's in CrossFit, you know, they will readily admit it feels almost like a cult because of the devotion, because of what they get out of it. And we talk about brand advocacy, for example, and you could not find stronger advocates than people who talk about CrossFit. It's a community with the people that they're there with. You know, you're, you're generating massive endorphin boosts and they come out of it enthused, energized. And, yeah, maybe that's just exercise. Would we get the same thing out of a financial brand? Well, actually, I can argue that you might, because if you think about how that impacts your life, particularly just now with the financial markets being the way they are up and down like a roller coaster, you want someone who if not gonna make you feel like you're punching the air when you're coming out of the building, at least that you're more secure, that you're looked after, that you have a future with this brand and that they're gonna work with you. So the wellness wave, yes, is about, you know, those, those, those feel good hormones and, and looking good and everything else, but it's about making the customer feel so much better in themselves. That happens to be about fitness, but I would argue it can be about anything. Cult it really means a culture, doesn't it? So it's not a negative word. It's become a negative. But if you're if you're building a culture with your customer, then you're doing something very right as a marketing person. What else is in the magazine this time? Well, if you're going to be building a culture with your customer, you've got to build a culture with your employee. And we have a lot actually in this issue about employees from the roundtable uh, right through to how you determine, you know, personality profiling. Sometimes, again, that can seem a little bit woo woo, can't it? We've, we've all had our personality profiles done and you're like, well, I'm not entirely sure if this really is me. But um, Ian McKnight from Colourworks, for example, explains that by using like the colour coding system, like a shorthand to explain not what people are, not to chuck them in a blue box or an orange box or whatever, but to find out perhaps about their dominant traits and their less dominant traits, the things that they're absolutely excelling at and the things that they need support with. So I couldn't begin to tell you which colour was which. I'm going <laughs> to let you all read the article first. But, you know, if say someone is blue and that has a particular trait of, I don't know, strong logical leadership, for example. But then maybe they have undertones of, of quite weak orange, perhaps. And maybe that's uh, not gregarious or maybe that's um, less adept at social skills. That doesn't mean that we only put that person into a strong logical leadership role. It means that they'll be very comfortable there. But equally, we have to work with them and help them either develop those traits or support them with a team and people who are stronger in those traits. So I found it really interesting that, you know, building, if you want to think who is a marketer, 
we talk about the art and science of marketing a lot, don't we? And we tend to put people in buckets. Are you a data analyst? Are you in the geek squad? Or are you in the creative squad where you're literally, you know, gesticulating all day and drawing thought bubbles on whiteboards and things like this? So I think we shouldn't be thinking about people in such binary ways anymore. Everyone's a little bit of both. And we get the best out of people when we understand how and why they're a little bit of all these things and how we can then get the, the most out of all those traits. So recruitment and people like profiling uh, leads us neatly into our guest today. But we, before we introduce Jill, you wrote a little bit in your column about the need to be a little bit better, be a bit more switched on with the way we recruit and handle young people in our sector. Absolutely. I mean, I, I just need my own personal experience. I, I currently own a, an 18-year-old and a 14-year-old at home. And you think back to when you were with your own parents and you go, oh, you don't understand me. You don't understand me. And then I swore when I held that tiny bundle, I wouldn't be the one who didn't understand them. I'd keep up with trends. Do I ever? I have no idea. They are a totally different species to me. And I think understanding when we say young people coming into the workforce, they're not younger versions of us. They have massively different expectations, massively different cultural influences, different desires, different goals. And we can't be stuck in aspect. But it does make it fiendishly difficult, doesn't it, Jill Cotton? Jill, I should say, is a career trends expert at EMEA at Glassdoor. It does make it fiendishly difficult, Jill, doesn't it? Um, if we are trying to recruit this younger talent, but we don't understand the younger talent. That's absolutely true. But the key here is for employees to actually listen to their employees. And the way to do that is by creating a culture of transparency within your workplace. And creating a truly transparent culture is actually really hard. It's really difficult for businesses, um, business owners, companies, whatever size they are, to truly open up. But it's only when you have that safe space where you are open and honest about what it is that you want, what your vision is for the company, what it is that you want from your workforce, that your workforce really then can trust you and in return can open up about what it is that they want and need. And what we're seeing a lot more of now at the moment is there's this big gap between what companies think their workers want and actually what it is that employers want and need and this is really kind of hyped up in the last two years but we find it's it's employers who do use transparency at the heart of what they do not only do they listen to their employees but they actually action and deliver upon what it is that those around them want to be supported there are three categories broadly there are those who don't listen They've yeah. not got much chance. There are those that do listen but don't action. And then I'm guessing this is the rarest of the three groups, those that do listen and do action. And that's the way to fill this gap that you're talking of. That's right. And it's hard. Like all of this is hard. It's difficult. The world of work is completely upturned in the last two years. What companies saw as their future has completely changed and how employees saw their world of work has completely changed as well. But we are now two years beyond the pandemic and we're now coming to a point where 
both sides, both employees and employers, need to recognise that changes have had to happen and that we've had to adapt to those. And what we're seeing is that those companies who have leaned in, who have listened to their employees and who are better supporting them, they are the ones who have been more adaptable over the last couple of years. Um, They've responded to the change. And those are the companies who, although hiring is still challenging, they're bringing in better, more talented people. And they're able to keep hold of their talent too. And more like there was a big round table of which Jill featured in the magazine. And what are the sort of practices that you discovered which were able to close this, this gap between what employers think young talent needs and what young talent actually wants? I think what was interesting is when you have businesses that sit and talk about purpose, you know, we're going to engage our, our, our staff around purpose and we're going to build this employer brand and this culture. And I think the NSPCC said it best when, when they, they sort of highlighted the, the challenge that's in front of them. Um, they said, David Hamilton, who's the director of communications, he said, there are 180,000 other charities that do great work, they're charitable, couldn't have a better embodiment of purpose there. So what sets them apart in terms of working culture? So what do they have to address? What's the sort of um, network? What's the sort of salary? Yes, that's important. But also, what's what are the other benefits? I mean, we've got to talk about how I enjoy going to work as, as a benefit. Um, so I think it was really important when they were talking about this, this fight for the talent how it is they behave in trying to get hold of that talent and what they offer. It's, you know, you're marketing the marketers here. I I find it really funny that we were having this discussion and actually what we're talking about is pure marketing here. You've got to market yourself as a place to work. Are marketing companies that good at marketing themselves, Jill Cotton, in your experience? They are pretty good, but I think a lot of people could be better. And actually, Morag there discussed about salary is important. We know that when people are looking for jobs, salary is their number one consideration. But salary can get you through the door, can get you into the job, but it doesn't actually keep you happy in your role. Once you're in the role, there are three things that really keep people satisfied. It is the um, cultural values of the company, it's access to learning and development, and it's the strength of the senior leadership. So, and this is across all industries, across all companies. And when I look at Glassdoor, I I look today and there are 18,000 marketing jobs currently available in the UK. 18,000 roles. This is a huge number of roles to fill. But what's even more interesting is that being in marketing and a marketing manager is a great job. So we produce a list of the best jobs of the year and actually marketing manager was number 10. This is of all job roles, not just marketing job roles. Of all job roles in the UK, marketing manager comes in at number 10. And we look at pay, we look at satisfaction and work conditions. This means that if you are hiring for marketing, actually you have this brilliant opportunity. It's a really attractive role. But in order to bring people in, yes, salary is important. But once they're in, what are you doing in order to keep this talent? It's the culture. It's the values of the company. If that person agrees with your culture, if they sign up to your values, if they can share with you that vision, 
then they will definitely be much more satisfied and they will stay with you for the long term. Is there generally a disconnect between the values of the company and the values of the intake? That's a great question. I would say that whilst there's actually quite a lot of myths about different age groups and actually there's a lot more crossover across age groups than what we would necessarily first think. So, for example, when we look at something like flexibility, um, you might think that it could be younger workers who want that flexibility, but actually our research shows it's the much older workers, so um, workers in the 55 to 65 age bracket who really focus much more than anyone else in flexibility. So my advice to companies would be have, have values instill culture that is true to you and the way that you want to do business and let other people come to you rather than trying to amend or adapt just to try to bring in a certain type of worker because that will never fix it will always seem false and it goes back to transparent culture if you are trying to instill a transparent culture you can't pretend to be um you know, having great eco credentials if you actually don't recycle anything in the office or if you don't look at your carbon footprint. Don't promise anything that you can't deliver. We hear time and time again, the thing that kind of turns employees away from their employers is when um, people just don't live up to promises. And definitely in the last two years, the employee voice has grown. It's getting louder people are more willing to actually call out companies for the things that they are promising on. You know, when the Black Lives Matter movement gathered steam two years ago, lots and lots of companies committed to increasing their policies around diversity and inclusion. Two years later, employees are demanding and saying, actually, what are we now doing in order to make ourselves more inclusive? What are we doing in our hiring practices? What are we doing on a day-to-day basis? And I think because it is so difficult for companies to hire at the moment, it does give an advantage to employees. And that means that actually, if your culture and values no longer align or they don't live up to promises, then there are kind of other options out there for you. Yeah, that's that's fascinating, isn't it, Morang? Market yourself. But when you are marketing yourself, make sure that marketing is authentic, which is, of course, a golden lesson throughout the sector. Don't try to be something you're not, because that's just going to backfire. Absolutely. And I think it's very interesting when you have companies taking actions that you don't expect and you see the reactions. So, for example, there's a big hoo-ha blown up in the news at the moment. We're obviously talking um, as we are at the moment in sort of mid-October. There was a news story about Shell sponsoring British cycling yeah and you can imagine so the people who get involved in cycling I've, I've spoken to for example marketers at Rafa for example now you don't have to be a dyed in the wool cyclist to work at Rafa but it really does help and you can tell you know just as I was talking about the wellness wave you can tell when you speak to these people the the philosophy comes off them in waves you know they, they believe what they're doing and British Cycling believes in what it's doing, and what it is doing is pedal power, fitness, endurance, and excellence. And in our current climate, both physical and metaphorical, where oil comes into that, 
if I were an employee and I am purely speculating, I would really be wondering right now who made this decision and why? Well, I can imagine there's a great sort of a great shock if the company you're working for suddenly does something that feels to, to quote, you know, the kids text speak OOC out of character. So companies got to stay on this. You don't just, you know, have some purposes and then do something daft. Think all the time. It's, it's, it's too easy to conflate, isn't it, Jill? Recruitment and retention. And one that I'm guessing is just as important as the other. You may say one is more important than the other. Certain policies, certain practices get you past the recruitment bit, but something different gets you to the retention part. I think the pipelines of both kind of retaining talent and bringing in new talent are equal. We know that access to learning and development once you're in a company keeps you in that company. And what's so brilliant about progressing someone through your company, retaining that talent, is that they have this knowledge about the company that you don't need to teach again. Every time that you hire a new person, we've worked out it costs you about £3,000 and takes you just shy of a month to hire someone. I would suggest that's probably slightly longer, actually, at the moment, because it, the hiring conditions are really tough. But it's really important that you keep having these new voices come into the company as well and um, to throw new ideas, to bring extra skills. And what we've actually found is that whilst it's really tough for um, hiring managers and talent acquisition to find exactly the right talent at the moment, they're being forced to look at kind of other pools of workers. So, for example, it could be people with transferable skills. So, yes, within the marketing industry, perhaps you haven't got the agency experience that was once required or you don't have the degree that was once required or that you've come from a different sector. So what? Actually, now is the time to really consider those transferable skills and look at how they can complement the skills which already exist within your workplace. That does require quite a lot of flexible thinking on the part of the employer. And my experience with HR departments is there can be a little bit too much rigidity at times regarding that sort of stuff. And to actually sort of break the formula to bring some cross-sectorial candidates in, it's not necessarily easy for them cognitively to to do that. You're right, it's not easy to think outside the box, but then we're talking about marketing here and uh, you know, a lot of what marketing is, is thinking creatively, thinking differently, shining a different light on something. COVID created this world where loads of jobs were cut, but then there was this pent up supply for demand. So for many companies, all of a sudden there was this really big influx of demand and there weren't the workers to kind of satisfy that. So that has left us with this really big gaping hole of workers. This is not going to change anytime soon. I can tell you now, it's going to be the same through 2023. It is going to be difficult to continue to hire good people. This means that hiring people, they need to be more creative. Otherwise, they're going to be left behind. What sorts of benefits can employers think about that perhaps they haven't thought about in the past? Great question. Um, the types of benefits that we're looking at at the moment, it's um, parental leave, kind of increased parental leave, but also carer's leave. 
Um, looking at mental health and wellness, giving access to support there. Um, lots of companies are moving towards unlimited pay time off as well, rather than a set amount of holidays so that people can use that. But it actually doesn't matter what benefits you implement if the company doesn't have the support system and structure in place to actually make them work. There is no point saying everyone can have unlimited holiday but you create a culture where everyone is, you know, working super long hours and there isn't the encouragement to even take that holiday at all. That's interesting, isn't it, Morag? There's one thing about writing down a bunch of benefits on paper. You are entitled to this. You can have this. You can claim this. But unless the structure and the framework and the culture of the company makes those things viable, those things that you write on paper are meaningless. I think what makes it easier for companies is if they can get involved in a collective effort. If you've got one company taking on board this idea that they're going to have unlimited holidays, for example, or like Eve Sleep, Cheryl Calverly has been very forthcoming saying not everyone's bank holiday is meaningful for everyone in the company. They'd rather take a different day. And so they have a flexible bank holiday policy um, that works if everyone's bought into it. Now, if a company is struggling to get on board or struggling to figure out how this might work, seeing lots of other companies doing the same thing um, can help. And it's not in the current issue. It was in the one of the recent issues where we explored the four day work week, because this has become a movement and a whole bunch of companies, mostly SMEs, signed up to do a trial and say, right, we won't cut pay. We will do four days. We will try and figure out how it works individually for us, whether that's a Monday, whether it's a pick your own, whatever. And the results are, are in. The results are in. The, the judges' votes have come through. And apparently the overwhelming majority found it worked. Right. And there were obviously teething problems. Some people were going, we're not getting the same productivity. Some people going, I can't chop a day off my week. It's too stressful. Everyone else is in the office and they've got questions they want to ask me. So clearly it needs to be worked through. But when you have a movement, it becomes ideologically easier, especially for the higher ups who might be sceptical and be going, you know, well, when I was doing it 20 years ago, it was all fine. Um, so I think other movements, and I think, again, this is being driven by younger employees who won't stand for the way it's always been done. And I think this is something also just anecdotally with, with friends, not in marketing. We're noticing that, and this isn't this, is, this isn't a bad thing. Younger employees are standing up for themselves. They're saying, um, and why I have to work till 9 p.m. tonight? I mean, I'll work extra hours if it's required. But if we're all just sitting here because we're all trying to show off about how much work we're doing, I'm sorry, I have a life. I have CrossFit to go to. Um, or, or, you know, I want this benefit. Or, do, you know, tell me what you're really doing about carbon. You know, no, I don't want any of this wishy-washy stuff. To show me the actual figures. Or... Um, I need to take this time off for my mental health. It's not inconveniencing you. So I would like to take this time off. Here is a very honest discussion of why I'm doing it. I think they're much more open, much more willing to drive the things they need. And so I think even if there isn't a formal movement like the four day work week experiment, you will come to see a general push towards a change in the way we're working. Jill, I mean, is it going fast enough? You said you don't see the market changing fundamentally in 2023. Do you see the behaviours and the practices of employers improving in 2023 so we can fill this gap that you referred to? 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, I do see the practices of both employers and employees actually changing. Um, so whilst it's still going to be difficult to hire, the fundamental thing that will change is about remote work. Remote work is here to stay. The world of work has gone through this rapid transformation, but we have come to a stage now where it's actually going to be really difficult for us to go back. And companies now need to embrace hybrid and flexible working. It's scary, it feels new. Yes, we've kind of got that herd culture that Morag was talking about. Well, other companies are doing it, perhaps we could do it too. Flexibility, when we've looked at this in our research, those who have flexibility are far, far more satisfied in their roles. Those without flexibility are twice as likely to be applying for a new job, twice as likely to be applying for a new job. But those who have flexibility, they say that they're more productive, their work-life balance is better. But flexibility can mean a range of different things and hybrid working can mean a range of different things it could be that you go to the office once a week it could be that you go to the office once a month it's about setting what flexibility means to you as a company and again what it is that your employees want um for me we're not going to go back to a culture where everyone is required to be in the office nine to five. It's not those who are coming out of university now. It's not what they've been used to. It's not what they're going to be expecting from the world of work as well. The only thing that we do need to be careful about, um, particularly when we look at younger workers, those entering the workforce for the first time, is making sure that there is still the support structures there so that they have access to mentorship, so that they still can learn um, from those who have been, who have that industry experience. We know that for young people, their biggest barrier to like getting the job that they want at the moment is lack of experience and lack of confidence. Let's build that confidence. And that can be done in a number of different ways. It doesn't necessarily need to be face-to-face -face in the office. That companies need to commit to being more flexible and considering hybrid work. So, Morag, we might get better practice from companies and more realisation, more realism about what employees want, but we're not going to find a, an easier labour market in 2023. We're going to have a, a tight labour market in 23, and that's going to shape a lot of what we're going to be talking about, I would imagine. Um, in 2023 as marketers and in Catalyst. So with your crystal ball, what do you expect to be talking about next year beyond the war for talent, if that's not too hackneyed a phrase? Beyond the war for talent? Uh, it's not a hackneyed phrase. I think I may well have used it in the magazine. <laughs> um, although Colin Lewis takes, a, he's a CMO, an Irish CMO and a very big commentator on on talent and he very much takes a takes exception to the war on talent phrase but I'll let people go and look into that themselves what's next year going to hold I think it'll be interesting to see economically what it drives us to do what this I am fervently hoping that the current economic shenanigans are extreme but short term how those end up getting changed uh, could be quite extreme, certainly for the Conservative administration. So economically, it will be interesting how marketers do more with less. But, you know, let's face it, whenever has that not been a perennial conversation? Belt tightening, but following the Harvard Business Review's exhortation from 2010 that said, in a recession, you don't stop marketing, yeah. which is good news for us at, at uh, Catalyst and the Chartered Institute of Marketing. So, um, 
So, you know, you don't stop marketing. So I think, yes, we'll see a lot of new ways, creative ways, efficient ways, effective ways, um, not following short termism, the temptation to go, right, I've spent this amount on advertising. I now need to recoup it almost immediately. And if I haven't, I've failed. Um, so we'll be looking at the, the value of things like the value of brand and how we hold our nerve, really, as marketers. And, you know, that's a big question, how you hold your nerve as a marketer. Pretty much everything that's in marketing goes into that. Um, so whether that's brand, whether that's metrics, whether that's data. We'll also be looking at things. Sustainability is going to be an ongoing conversation. The previous edition readers will know that we focus quite heavily on sustainability. It was a, it was a very big theme running through a lot of the articles. I think going forward, sustainability is going to be one of those things now that is always there in the same way that digital is always there. We used to talk about digital as a separate thing in a shiny box of scariness. Well, now digital is everywhere, it's everything. We even say fidgetal for digital and physical. Well, sustainability will be there. It's just part of the everyday conversation. It's part of our success. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, from a journalistic perspective, it's going to be a really interesting year because we thought things changed fast with COVID, now we're seeing the fallout economically and sociologically and everything else. Things are still going to have to keep changing. We're, we're not done. We'll be good to see. It will be interesting to see. They will have to keep changing. But I liked your call to arms that we must hold our nerve as marketers through 2020 and Jill Cotton as recruiters. Jill Morag, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. It's been incredibly illuminating. There's some, there's some great tips and advice, I think, particularly for employers who want to win um, this battle for talent or war for talent or whatever is the correct phrase nowadays for our need to find the best people to work with us in our sector. Jill Cotton, more I could have for Jones. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks so much, Ben. Reminders before we go to the members that your magazine should be arriving on your doormat soon. And if it hasn't already, um, and if you want to look at it digitally, you can find it on the My CIM Digital Content Hub, which is available to all CIM members. And we'll see you on the CIM podcast again very soon. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. CIM Marketing Podcast.